0: And I wish him all the success in the world. But I'm not going to pieces because Fox News took his time slot away. It's their right to do. Even if it destroys the company, then we can all stand by and, and watch it crumble, and we can kind of snicker. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? You are tuned in to the Straight Talk Podcast. I am your host, America Sheriff David Clark. Welcome to the program. So the other day I get a, 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 a text from my agent. It's a request from USA Today. I'm going to read you what the text says. USA Today interview request. Good morning. My name is Rachel Looker, and I'm a reporter at USA Today covering the 2024 Wisconsin Senate race. I'm starting coverage on the race and would be interested in speaking with Mr. Clark about his potential Senate run. The first story I'm working on this week is focusing on how candidates' stances on abortion could play out in congressional races, especially honing into Wisconsin. I'd also be interested in talking to Mr. Clark about his stance on abortion for this piece. Would it be possible to set up a phone interview this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Thanks much, Rachel. Trap. That's the first thing you have to think about when you get something like this. Trap. As you know, the Democrats have been able to, and they always seem to be able to do this, to turn a defeat into a win or to turn a defeat into an advantage. And I'm talking about the Dobbs decision, the US Supreme Court decision that returned this issue back to the states. And you would think that by now, the GOP, Republicans, conservatives, some conservatives would understand that this is the topic du jour, not only going into 2024, but it's been, it happened in the midterms. And it's happened in some state races. It happened here in Wisconsin in a state Supreme court race where the conservative candidate got walloped over one issue. His opponent, a liberal activist judge made abortion the center point of the election. And she beat him by about 250,000 votes. It wasn't even close. And once again, I sat up there and watched how a Republican or conservative candidate steps in it every time now this issue of abortion comes up. The Democrats think they're onto something here. And maybe they are. And it's because the GOP has not figured out, and candidates, how to navigate this trap on the issue of abortion. And where they always step in it is around one piece of it. As you know, abortion is a very complex issue. There are many facets to it. And I would like to think that some strategists at the RNC or the GOP would have sat down and crafted a framework with which candidates could successfully navigate this gotcha question. And it's always around do you believe in abortion, in cases of rape or incest. That's the only question they want to know about. They meaning the media. And the, the candidate, Republican candidate cannot figure it out. That they haven't sat down and crafted something to, like I said, get around this issue. They step in it. They stumble. They stammer. They say something clumsy. And it dooms their campaign. Because they're not able to attract women voters, and they're not able to attract independent voters when they can't successfully answer, do you believe? Because they you know they, they want to claim to be pro-life. And I'm pro-life. And I've talked about this before publicly in tweets and social media on how to get around this trap on the issue of abortion in the case of of rape or incest? Because the media doesn't ask any other questions. They don't ask about partial birth abortion. They don't ask Democrat candidates about partial birth abortion. They don't ask them about post-birth abortion, late-term abortion. They only want to know about in cases of rape or incest. So I get this request from this USA Today reporter, Rachel. And so I, I told my agent, I said, I'll craft something here and we'll get him a response. Because the first thing you can't do in this situation, you can't do an in-person or by telephone interview on this. they will not They won't let you answer the question. And they'll keep jumping around trying to confuse you, trying to further allow you to dig your own hole. So strategically, the first thing you have to think about in these times, these situations is you have to think strategically. So I thought I'll craft a response, and then that way I get to say what I want to say. Based on her question, she says, Mr. Clark, what's your position on abortion? Yeah, okay, I can answer that. She knows darn well I'm pro-life. This is a setup. So I sat down in a very short period of time. First of all, you could do some research. My gosh, these are people running for a senator, Congress. These are people running for governor. These are people running for president of the United States, for heaven's sake, and haven't crafted a position, a policy paper on their pro-life stance. So I put this together, and I'm going to read you what my statement is. I'm going to read it to you. And and my position is here. Here's my position. You asked for my position on abortion. Here it is. Now, I know they don't like this. They'd rather get me by telephone. Of course, they're in Atlanta. I'm in Wisconsin. So it's not going to be in person. But I'm not going to do it on a Zoom. I'm not going to do it on Skype. No. Here's my position. Now, I also know that they can pick and choose. They can take you out of context. But guess what? When they do that, I have them set up. Because now I can say, yes, I said that one sentence. Here's the rest of what I said, and I can produce it. Now I'm showing them to be disingenuous. Now I'm showing them to be dishonest. Now I'm showing them as a journalist to not have any integrity. I know they will not print this whole statement in their piece, but here's what they have an obligation to do if they have any integrity. Put a hyperlink in there and say, attached is his full statement. So people, if they want to, can go to him and go, oh, yeah, he said that. However, he also said it in the context of this, strategic. So that's why I said they're not going to like this that I wrote this statement out. But this is all they're getting. So here's, here's my answer to the question, Mr. Clark, what's your position on abortion? Here we go. Let me be clear. I can't think of a more horrific thing for a woman to experience than to be a victim of rape or incest or for it to result in pregnancy. First thing is to express empathy. Display empathy. Because remember I said this is a complex issue. It's emotional for a lot of people. So display empathy. I'm going to continue here. Most people are not aware that abortions in the case of rape and incest occurs in about one half of one percent of all abortions. Let me say that again. Most people are not aware that abortions in the case of rape and incest occurs in about one-half of one percent of abortions. The Democrat use of this one percent of abortions to prop up and rationalize their support for murdering babies. They use this one-half of one percent to prop up and rationalize their support for murdering babies. And then I attach a link to the data. Research. I sit down, I do my research, I gather some data, and then I craft my position around it to support it, to support my position. So back to my statement here. If this was the majority of abortions performed, Most reasonable people, including myself, wouldn't want to interfere in a victim's decision, see, victim's decision, in consultation with her OBGYN to choose abortion, nor should there be a prohibition on having one performed in these instances. That's reasonable, ladies and gentlemen. You can't be an absolutist. And that's why these people get caught up, these candidates, these Republicans, on the issue of rape or incest. They try to be absolutist about it. We're talking about one half of 1% of abortions. And I said, well, if that's all there were, we wouldn't be really having this argument. Because most people, it happens one half of 1%, that's horrible. But, you know, this doesn't seem to be a big uh, deal here in terms of the other 99%, I'm saying. So I go on to say, so now let's focus on the other 99% of abortions performed, and let's have a discussion on that. Let's start with an examination of the data. First is the issue of race. I turn it around and make it an issue of race, which the left loves to do with everything. Make it an issue of race. Abortion is disproportionately targeting the black community, and it impacts black women more than any other demographic. As an African-American myself, that's a concern. In a story from LiveAction.org, the Center for Disease Control reports that the black abortion rate is 3.8 times greater than the white abortion rate and and 2.5 times higher than the Hispanic abortion rate. Additionally, the CDC reports that black women account for 38% of all reported abortions which is higher than any other demographic, and the black abortion rate per 1,000 women is 25%. The Hispanic abortion rate per 1,000 is 11.7%, and the white abortion rate per 1,000 is 6.6%. With this staggering data, a case can be made that the abortion industry is a predatory industry that targets black people. This has got, what I just wrote here, has got to piss them off. Because they have to be saying to themselves, damn it, this guy knows this trap. This guy knows this trick and how it's played. So I go on here. It is estimated that between 2010 and 2016, over one 0.7 million black babies lost their lives due to abortion. I don't think using the word genocide is over-the-top rhetoric. Keep in mind that blacks make up just 13% of the U.S. population. We always hear about the disparate impact that something has on black people, but not on the issue of abortion. Why do you think that is? I'm going to make people think. Now, on the morality issue of abortion, see, it's not just about statistics, although that's important to bolster my position. This Planned Parenthood and this abortion industry is a predatory industry, and it targets black people, black women. So now on the morality issue of abortion, I rarely see a Democrat politician or candidate for office be asked about the horror of late-term abortion or post-birth abortion, both of which are proposed in states with laws protecting abortions without limitations. They are never asked a gotcha question about those gruesome procedures like late-term abortion and why they should not be outlawed. See, I turn it around on them. Okay, let's have this discussion. Here's mine. How about asking them this? They never get asked about former OBGYN abortion doctor Kermit Gosnell, who is serving life in prison after being convicted of murdering babies born alive with scissors during late-term abortions. In one instance, it came out during his trial that a baby let out a soft whimper before Gosnell snipped its neck. Ladies and gentlemen, that is beyond disgusting. But do you see how I frame this now? Let's have this conversation and stop talking about that one point or that one half of 1% of abortions that occur as a result of rape or incest. I'm talking about the 99%. And you got to make it ugly. You have to make it emotional. You have to talk about this. But I bet many uh, conservative Republican candidates, they don't want to go down this hole. They don't want to go down this road. Well, that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, make it uncomfortable. Like they make you uncomfortable talking about abortion in the the case of rape or incest. Make it ugly. Make it emotional. Back to my my response here. Others were still, babies, others were still moving and breathing before being murdered. This is what late-term abortion is the media never asks Democrat candidates about whether after they see this they still support late-term abortions like they do for Republican candidates about, do you support no abortion in cases of rape or incest? See, they don't ask, and, and I point it out. So it says, ask them to comment on Gosnell like the media likes to ask Republican candidates about cases of rape or incest. And I close with this. The problem for Republican politicians and candidates for office is that they haven't framed the issue properly. They run from it. They don't present the argument based on data, nor will they ever talk about the ugly procedure that abortion is. If more women had to take a position based on how I present it here, those who support abortion just might pause in their support. Those who still support unfettered abortion after hearing this have no heart. And no compassion. I will never win their vote. Does that make sense? I just framed a response on the abortion issue post-Dobbs. Don't let them make this issue about reproductive health. That's how the Democrats and their leftist ilk in the media like to present it. Women's. Reproductive health. No, it's not. It's murdering babies. And it's murdering black babies and Hispanic babies and very few white babies. And do you notice that on this issue of abortion, when you see these rallies, do you notice it's attended by white women and you know young white women more than any other demographic, yet they only account for 6.6% of all abortions performed? See, it's not impacting their community. When they think it's okay as long as it's killing black and Hispanic babies. You have to make this thing emotional. So if you know of a candidate out there, if you support some candidate that's running in your area, get this to them. You know what? I haven't copyrighted this. They can use it. use it Word for word. And when they get asked about it at a candidate's forum, Have this in front of them. Just read it. You don't have to memorize it. There's too much here to memorize. And if you get, you know, your three minutes to answer a question, read it fast. Or, you know what? You don't have to read it in its totality. Pick out some good stuff here. You know, candidate A, you'll have three minutes to answer. Highlight some stuff, one piece of data here that it's affecting the African-American population more than any other. Make it race and then make the morality issue. Host in late-term abortions, snipping babies' necks as they're whimpering and, and still breathing? Do you really support? Th- I want to ask my—turn to your opponent and say, I want to ask my Democrat opponent here, do you support these late-term abortion procedures? Do, the, do you support no abortions for rape or incest? Turn it right on them. I don't understand why these Republican candidates— haven't figured out how to answer this gotcha question. I know darn well that Rachel at the USA Today is going to read this. Pardon my my language, ladies and gentlemen. And she's going to say, shit. He understands what we're trying to do here. Because I do. I know the enemy. I faced them before. I know their tactics. I know what they're capable of. I know what they're up to. And you have to be ready for it. Sometimes you have to think fast on your feet. But this isn't that difficult. Turn it on them. Let them answer why late-term abortions and bring up God's Nell, because that personalizes it, that puts a face on it. He was actually doing this. He was an OBGYN actually doing this. And then look at your, you know, stare right at your opponent in the forum. Stare right at him as you're talking. Do you support this? Did you hear what I just said? And watch them squirm. Mainstream media has turned into nothing more than state-run propaganda. Bulldog TV was founded by Americans fighting for America to restore the fourth branch of government. Support alternative media like Bulldog TV by following them on Facebook and Truth Social. It's Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May four. Issue, Never the Issue, as well as, yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better... Mike Lindell and MyPillow are launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes MyPillow even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with the brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. Say goodbye to tossing and turning and flipping your pillow over in the middle of the night. And more great news on the MyPillow 2.0, a buy one, get one free offer with promo code CLARK. MyPillow 2.0, with its temperature regulating technology, is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square to receive the MyPillow 2.0 buy one, get one free offer. Just when you thought MyPillow couldn't get any better, it does. MyPillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code CLARK, that's C-L-A-R-K-E, to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Let's go on to the next thing I want to talk about here. Come across a story. Washington Times, U.S. still largest donor to Afghans despite the Taliban takeover. The U.S. government remains the biggest donor to Afghanistan even in the wake of the Taliban's takeover, according to an Inspector General's report released late Tuesday. Some $2.1 billion had flowed to Afghanistan since August 2021, when the U.S. withdrew its last troops and the Taliban toppled the American-backed government and took control. And while U.S. officials say the money is supposed to be going to assist Afghans and not feed into the Taliban's treasury, the Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction said officials can't say for sure that the Taliban isn't siphoning some of the money away from the groups the U.S. is funding. Do you Would you be shocked to learn that the Taliban is siphoning money away from humanitarian efforts? Would you be shocked? And all of a sudden, too, it says here that the government can't say, officials can't say for sure that they're not. You know they are. So the article goes on to say, quote, Since the Taliban takeover, the U.S. government has sought to continue supporting the Afghan people without providing benefits for the Taliban regime. The Taliban regime is in charge. The people of Afghanistan are not in charge. So it says here, However, it is clear from our work, it's part of the quote, that the Taliban is using various methods to divert USA dollars, said Inspector General John Sapko. Oh my God, I'm shocked. So it says here, U.S. assistance includes help with mining and agriculture, education, human rights, and health programs. Okay. Now I want to peel a few of the layers back on this. First of all, the U.S. spends about $38 billion a year in foreign aid to a bunch of countries. And they're all hardship countries for the most part. You know who's the biggest recipient of U.S. foreign aid for humanitarian efforts? Some of it's military for some of these regions of the world, but for most it's not. Sub-Saharan Africa. Yet, we have to sit up here, we meaning conservatives, and you white folks in the audience have to sit up here and get slapped around all the time talking about how America's a racist nation. Yet we contribute more in terms of humanitarian aid, foreign aid, to sub-Saharan African nations than any other country in the world. But we're the racists. You're the racists. They can have other names for me. So I have to ask, and, and I have nothing against this foreign aid for these underdeveloped countries. That, that's, that's the right thing to do. When you have more than somebody else to help them out, Americans have always been good about that. Charities, donating, whenever there's some humanitarian disaster somewhere, an earthquake or, you know, a, a typhoon or a hurricane. It's always the American people that step up in terms of recovery aid and generously. So I'm I'm not against that, but I am against it for Afghanistan, and here's why. Afghanistan is a wasteland. That's all it is. Now, the American America just spent 20 years in that part of the world propping up that government, trying to get them on their feet. And as soon as we left, and Biden's withdrawal, the government that was put in place by the U.S. collapsed within days, and the Taliban took over again. Thirteen Marines killed in a terror attack, trying to evacuate and evacuate people out of Afghanistan. And we're going to turn around and continue to give The Taliban that's now back in charge. Foreign aid? You know what should happen to Afghanistan? They should go the way way in the route of every other civilization that became extinct. Yes, I said that. It is a wasteland. It is useless. As long as some of these nations are not going to try to modernize, that's what, you, that's what the foreign aid should, should go toward, helping them modernize. If they're not going to modernize, the hell with them. It should be cut off completely. Let somebody else put up the foreign aid to help these, these underdeveloped nations. Afghanistan is in the Stone Ages still. Why would you want to help them? They killed 13 of our Marines as we're trying to leave, for heaven's sakes. The Taliban government, they still treat women like crap. There's schools. They still indoctrinate these kids to hate Jews and to hate America? It's radical Islam? And we're trying to help? I don't know. Somebody's got to explain this to me. And this stuff goes on. You know, this is one of those things, these topics, foreign aid. It's not real sexy, right? $38 billion. You wonder why we have a $31 trillion Debt? You know, if Congress really wants to do something useful, especially the GOP control house, send all these other hearings on this stuff. It's not going anywhere. It's nothing more than saber rattling and FaceTime on TV. Why don't they hold some hearings on U.S. foreign aid? Where it's going, because it says here, you know, the, the officials can't say for sure whether or not the Taliban is siphoning. How come they don't know? It's time to ask them, the State Department. I think they're in charge of the foreign aid program, but call those people in and ask them. Hey, Blinken, we saw this report here, Afghanistan. Why are we still giving them money? You know where our national debt is? You know that we have homeless vets in this country that could use that $2 billion that in 2021 went to Afghanistan and the money that's still rolling into Afghanistan in 2024? We have homeless vets that could use that money? We're not taking care of our homeless veterans. We're not taking care of Americans who've fallen on hard times, and we're trying to help this Stone Age country? I don't know. Maybe you can help me understand because I don't. I don't know that I want to understand this. I think we need to stop. Anyway, the border's at it again. About to explode. Title 42 is going to end. Maybe by the time you hear this podcast... And it's going to create this surge of illegal aliens and illegal immigrants into the country. You know, something we have no plan to deal with. Mayorkas has been lying his rear end off every time he gets called up to Capitol Hill. He's asked, is the border secure? Oh, yes, it's secure. How are things going? Oh, they're going great. The Biden policy is working. Now, the Biden policy is a disaster. So now the Biden administration announces that it's going to deploy 1,500 active-duty troops to the southern border to help deal with an expected wave of illegal immigrants starting next week. Active-duty. That's the key phrase here. Because, you know, we've used the National Guard at the border to help supplement the Border Patrol. Reservists. National Guard. Active duty, to me, is a slippery slope. This needs congressional approval as far as I'm concerned. There's a constitutional issue here. Using active duty troops on U.S. soil. Yeah, for an invasion or insurrection. And I would say there's an invasion at the southern border. I would say that. And under the Constitution, the United States is supposed to protect the states against invasions. So I have no problem with it per se, but there's a process. And when we hit that slippery slope of just letting the president of the United States, I don't care who the president is. When we just let them do this, and we don't question and just, hold on a second. Because this border crisis didn't just start now. This has been going on ever since Biden became president of the United States. We're over two years into his administration. But now, all of a sudden, it's a crisis. It's been a crisis. Biden undid all the Trump policies that had the border under control. He undid all of them. He created this surge. Caravans coming into our country. He return, Biden returned us to catch and release. Fortunately, in a stroke of luck, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, you know, the, the coronavirus, the Chinese coronavirus hit and allowed the president, under Title 42, that's the process, to deport people immediately and then remain in Mexico policy to control the spread of the virus. People who were coming in, they weren't checking to see if they had the the, the virus. Just letting letting them in, no testing. But they were testing Americans. You couldn't do anything in America without being tested. Remember, they were talking about that 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 vaccine passport. You had, they, they were talking about making us carry around a passport to prove we were. You know, we got the the. Um, what do they call it? The virus protection. But they were letting illegal aliens in without worrying about that. The Biden administration. You now, there's there's three main reasons why you have to have effective immigration policy, and there's a difference between border enforcement and immigration policy. Make sure you keep that in mind. These are two distinct, separate things. The first reason why you have to have effective border enforcement or an immigration policy, in, in this case, a border enforcement, we're a sovereign nation. We have borders, and we have to protect those borders. We're mainly talking about case the United States on our southern and our northern border, but mainly on our southern border, southwest portion of the country. The first reason is you have domestic security and national security issues. We could get attacked. Happened on 9 11. We didn't have effective border control. And the hijackers got in and they were moving throughout the United States. And it was known by the FBI, the State Department, and others that these identified people, specifically identified people, were coming in and out of the United States, flying in on commercial jets, commercial airlines freely. So the first reason, you you have domestic and national security issues. The second reason you have to have effective immigration and border control is to prevent the spread of infectious diseases. That's what Title 42 is. It was never meant to be a border enforcement, per se, policy. It was to deal with the spread of infectious diseases. So when Trump went to that, And he should have gone to that. It was at the height of the pandemic. He was fortunately able to use it to control the, the, the influx of illegal aliens into the country, but it was never meant to be a border enforcement policy when the law was created. Now, we could change that, but you can't have that forever. Again, I'm a process guy, policy guy, constitutional guy. So eventually that thing was going to come to an end. Do I think they should keep it? Yeah, probably. But it's allowing Congress off the hook for passing effective immigration and border control. As long as you allow these things like Title 42, then the Congress doesn't have to do their job and they're both at fault. Both of them. You know, this thing has become the border has become politicized. Unfortunately, both parties are at it. So this issue, and it really centers around the Posse, Posse Comitatus Act. I can find that here. I'll read from it. Here it is: the Posse Comitatus Act and related matters, the use of the military to execute civilian law. The Constitution permits Congress, Congress, to authorize the use of the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. And it guarantees the state's protection against invasion or usurpation of their Republican form of government and upon the request of the state legislatures against domestic violence. That would be the National Guard. So there's a process here. This makes it constitutional. All right. If we're going to use the U.S. military to enforce civilian law, you have to have Congress's approval. Biden didn't get any approval from Congress. And I don't hear many people making a big stink. I guess I'm talking about the GOP members of Congress. That said, Hold on one second here. You didn't request approval for this. So they try to get around it because there is some uh, an element here where the president can 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 do this. But what Biden's doing is, and and, and the the, uh, Homeland Security are saying, well, they're not going to enforce civilian law, so therefore we can do it. Well, wait a minute. Define civilian law. Federal law is civilian law as well. So it says here these constitutional provisions are reflected in the Insurrections Act, which have been invoked numerous times before and after passage of the Posse Comitatus Act 18 USC section 1385 in 1878 Congress has also enacted a number of statutes that authorize the use of land and naval forces to execute their objectives so there is a a there is precedent for this George W Bush did it Donald Trump did it sent national guard troops not active duty military so when you look at this, and I'm reading here from another Washington Times article, it says this last-minute deployment challenges Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas's claim that he's had a plan in place for months to prepare for the end of Title 42. He was lying. That's all he does. And here's the political thing that, that ticks me off to no end, and both parties, neither party wants to fix this immigration and border crisis trump tried and under the circumstances with resistance from not only democrats but from republican members of congress he did a hell of a job he slowed the surge he built some more of the wall so this is an example of the the politics that's played here when mr trump deployed additional troops in october 2018 amid growing Migrant caravans, press coverage, cast it as an election season ploy. Then-Senator Kamala Harris said the deployment was taking troops away from their families and called it a demonstration for the TV cameras based on a political agenda. She said, quote from Senator Kamala Harris, The Trump administration made a decision to deploy them based on a political agenda, and I believe that is inappropriate to require the limited resources of the United States military to be used in such a way, she said at the time. As Kamala Harris, Senator. But now that her president's doing it, well, this is the right thing to do. This is smart. This is, you know, we're protecting the border here, and we're going to do everything we can to protect our border. She's full of crap. When Trump did it, she says, you know, like, like I said, this, she called it a demonstration for the TV cameras. So now that the Democrats are in charge, the Republicans, they're at it too. Okay, their hands are not clean when it comes to this. Let me give an example. Chad Wolf, former Department of Homeland Security secretary, he said, Biden's deployment won't achieve as much as prior ones because the current administration's attitude toward the border is backwards. He says this largely means a faster catch-and-relief program. Okay, he's not wrong there. But, you know, they had their chance. And I don't mean when I say they. The Republicans had their chance when it comes to this. They could have acted on it. Trump gave them the four-point plan. You think they did anything about it? No. They fought Trump on it. So then here's a Republican congressman. This goes to that. Both parties are wrong here. They're, they're using this as a for a political edge. Both parties are doing it. Neither party wants to fix the border or immigration or, or effective come up with effective immigration policy. So Wolf says here. No, I'm sorry. This is the inspector general. Since Taliban takeover. No, that's the Taliban. Wolf says that Biden's thing won't have much of an impact. And it probably won't. But at the same time, this thing's not going to get fixed. This, this, these 1,500 troops, this isn't going to help. Let's be honest. You know, again, and I say that often when I'm doing this podcast, you know, it's called Straight Talk for a reason. There's a Republican congressman who made a statement, at you know, re- regarding his 1,500 active-duty troops, and he basically blasted it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is Congress's purview. The Congress shall form rules on naturalization and immigration by the Constitution. The Congress, do something then criticize what Biden's doing? Do something about it. Come up with something. But no, you know what? We can use this as a <laughs> political hammer and we can just hammer the Biden administration and when the Republicans had their chance, they did the same thing. They said the, they did the same damn thing. So then, here's some some more of what uh, Wolf said, who was, like I said, the secretary under Trump for DHS. Quote, I think this is all for public relations reasons, Mr. Wolf told the New York, the Washington Times. They want to show and demonstrate to the American people and others that they're doing something. They just put on different hats when they change administrations. So Wolf also said all of these things are just going to further incentivize the crisis. The Guardsman, while it sounds good, does nothing to solve the problem. He's right there. Well, the Republicans had their chance. With Speaker Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell in control of the Congress, and Trump presented a framework with his four-point plan, they had their chance to do something about it, and they did nothing. Trump did everything in spite of opposition from the GOP-controlled Congress. Here's that thing I was looking for before. It says here, and this is from Senator Roger, Roger Wicker of Mississippi, the top Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee. He says, President Biden could have avoided this entire situation by taking seriously the crisis at our border. What did what was Wicker's position when Trump was trying to do that, this Republican? What was his position then? They were fighting Trump. They overrode. They tried to. He's declaring a national crisis at our southern border so that he and he had to do that so he could divert funds from other areas of the Defense Department. Because Paul Ryan, the Republicans, and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate would not give Trump funding to complete the border wall. Maybe if we had the border wall completed, we wouldn't have to do it this way. The politics of our southern border. Thanks for tuning in. Attention, patriots. Looking for a great book? Let me recommend the greatest story ever told. The We the People Bible is available for the first time in history. This Bible is for those who believe it is time to give America back to God. Faith is being targeted, and our country's founding beliefs are being targeted. The We the People Bible is restoring what there is an attempt to remove, the preservation of faith and the preservation of America. One of the most unique features of this Bible is that it includes the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the Pledge of Allegiance as a bonus. This makes it a perfect heirloom to pass on to the generations to come. It is time to give America back to God, and this Bible is a great way to do just that. Get one for yourself and another as a gift for a friend or family member. Go to americasheriff.com and click on the Bible link to order today while supplies last. Friends, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Straight Talk with yours truly, America Sheriff David Clark. And a special thank you also goes out to our sponsors. My goal as always is to break down these complex and many times controversial issues and bring it to you straight with a little dose of common sense, no media bias, no talking points, just truth. And this podcast would not be possible without your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place to listen. And please share this message of Common Sense on social media. For more content, be sure to follow me on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And just a reminder, we'd love for you to join our Straight Shooters VIP Podcast Club for only $5 per month. And with that membership, you'll receive invitations to attend private podcast events throughout the year as a VIP guest when we come to your town. Plus, if you join today, you'll also receive a free coffee mug and a sample of our private label coffee, as long as supplies last. Subscribe and join at America Sheriff.com. This podcast is brought to you by AmericaSheriff.com with executive producer Judy Wilkinson of J.L. Wilkinson Consulting and producer Josh Wentz in partnership with our friends at Bulldog Media. If you are interested in partnering with Straight Talk Podcasts or having me speak in your area, please contact Judy at J.L. Wilkinson Consulting at gmail.com. 706-518-2116. That's J.L. Wilkinson Consulting at gmail.com. Phone number 706-518-2116.